Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 2 and 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Amen. All right, welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, We're overjoyed to be with you, whether uh, remotely through video or in person. We started a new series last week looking at our vision, and we're doing that because a couple of reasons. One, we have to re-remind ourselves, for those who have been here, why are we doing this? What are, where are we going? Why are we going there? But for those of you who are new, we need, to, we need to know what we're committing ourselves to as an institution. And our vision that we said last week 
Put in one line, very simply put, it's to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. And last week what we said was, we focused on just the first word. What, is it, what does it mean to joyfully live? That all of life is about joy. Look at our, even our parable. The father rejoices in the lost son. This parable actually, if you take all of chapter 15 of Luke, is part of three parables. And earlier the parable of the lost sheep, the, the shepherd rejoices in finding the lost sheep. The parable of the woman rejoices when she finds the lost coin of great value. So it's all joy. Now today, we're going to go look at the next phrase, right? To joyfully live as reflections of God's love. What does it mean to live as reflections of God's love? We have to ask first, who does God love? Who, who is in, so to speak? And I believe the secret of this parable is that it, not only is it terribly and awfully and often misread, it's that the secret is that even though we, the, the parable was used to be called in the parable of the prodigal son, if you look on line 11, the way that the introduction is that this was, there was a man who had two sons. This is the parable of two sons. And I think the implications for us is massive. This has been pointed out at Redeemer in the past. It will be pointed out at Redeemer in the future. I've actually never... Uh, preached on this story, but I really believe there is no better passage for us to k get at, to understand the heart of God's love, as well as what does it mean to live as reflections of that love. And so today, let's break this passage three ways. Let's look at God's love for younger brothers, God's love for older brothers or elder brothers, and God's love for us. God's love for younger brothers, God's love for elder brothers, and then God's love for us. So first, God's love for younger brothers. And we said, you have to look at this parable in line with the other parables in the same text. There's three, a series of three parables aimed at a very particular group. I put them in the first line, verses one and two. There are Pharisees and teachers of the law who are muttering. Well, Jesus welcomes these people. Why does he eat with them? Basically, they're asking, who's in? Who does God really love? Who should Jesus be eating with? and not eating with. And Jesus says three parables, and actually all three are saying the same thing. And this comes from uh, Professor Edmund Clowney. This comes from renowned uh, uh, London-based pastor Dick Lucas. This comes from other people who pastored at Redeemer before. All have pointed out and said that this parable is about, and all these parables are about something that's lost. But if I, I think there's different categories of lostness. The parable of the lost sheep is about lostness due to cluelessness, the sheep being clueless. The parable of the lost coin is lost due to carelessness, misplacing it. And the parable of the lost sons, of the two sons, is about loss because of willfulness. And I, I was reflecting on this this week. Jesus is directing this at the religious people back then, but he could easily be directing this at ourselves today because whom do we despise today? We tend to despise the clueless, the uh, careless, and the willfully, you know, wrong people, right? We say, how dare you not be informed? That's cluelessness. We say today, how dare you be a mess up? How dare you do that? That's carelessness. And we say, how dare you willfully do wrong that we acknowledge and we see? 
don't know if you've been hearing the phrase, do better more. That, that phrase that is coming up to light, that is a, 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 a moral framework. A more, it's, a, it's a type of moralism to say, you, if you obey, if you're in, if you do better, then I'll accept you. Does the father here do that to the younger son? Is that the moral framework that he operates on? Look at our parable. The younger son shows up and he says, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, um, modern people, we actually misplace what's wrong here. We think what's wrong is he took the inheritance and didn't invest it properly. He didn't put in stocks and bonds and a good IRA with, with uh, you know, ways to kind of grow it. No, he squandered it. That's what's wrong. That's not right. Put yourself into Middle Eastern culture back then. The sin wasn't the fact that he took the money. The sin was that he asked for it in the first place. Uh, a professor was talking about how he, when he preaches this to shame and honor cultures, like if he go, when, when he teaches on this in, in Morocco and Dubai, he would ask, hey, is this, is this actually a feasible story? Do, do people actually do this? And, and almost everybody says, no way. The father would have beaten the son before he could have even finished his sentence if he tried to ask that. And actually, even more so, the son never would have even have said that in the first place. It's, it would be unthinkable to do what the son did here because everybody knows that you only get your inheritance when the father dies. And so for the son in verse 12 to say, give me my inheritance, he's essentially saying this, I know you're not dead, but I kind of wish you were. That's the unthinkable thing. That's the unmentionable thing that he did. That's the thing that, that culturally was the worst possible thing. And again, this week I was trying to think on, what's our version of that? What is the culturally like, thing that we just say, oh, how could they? I've been th- I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, uh, is, it, is it being greedy, like the 1%? Is it, is it being a racist? Is it being, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of what are, the, what are the cultural things that were like, that's not okay. Whatever that is, that's the younger brother here. And the, the sin that, that, that we would all despise for. But when he hits rock bottom, what's fascinating is he has the audacity to show up back to the father's house, but he knows the terms have changed. He knows that, you got, I can't go that way. So what he says here is, hey, I got a whole approach about how I'm going to approach you now. This is in verse 19. I'm going to say, Father, I, 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 you know, I, I have sinned against heaven against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In other words, let me associate as a worker. Let me associate to you as a doer. He's, he's actually taken the do better apparatus and say, hey, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do this. Let's do it. And the father reacts. Now, before we're told what he does, we're actually told what he, what he uh, sees and feels first. Let's look at verse 20. That when the son gets up and goes to the father, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And again, as I've been thinking about this this whole week, why was the father, it says when he was a long way off, what's the father doing? The father's like this. He's like, he's looking out there. He's looking at the horizon. What the heck is he doing looking at the horizon the whole time? He must have been staring, looking, longing in the distance for who knows how long. Was it years? Was it every day? Regardless, when he finally sees him, the word we're told here, when he, this is in verse 20, is that he was filled with compassion. That's the first feeling we see. And that in, in Greek, it's actually a stronger word. It's not just like compassion. It, it's, it's this guttural, 
heartfelt fluttering where, you know how you go, sometimes you go on roller coasters and the heart goes up and down, you know, that's the, that's the kind of uh, feeling this man has. And after he feels, he sees, he feels, and then he runs. Life, life, a long way off, was filled with compassion, he ran. And again, something that's hard for us to, because a lot of folks for, to get out there uh, stressed today, they go to the park, they go for a run. Middle Eastern ancient patriarchs did not run. That was beneath them. That was undignified. That, 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 that is not something that he would have done. Not only that, he was probably in a tunic, so it probably wasn't an indecent thing for him to do, to go running. And yet, this was, that's the whole point. This is a scandalous love. This is someone who's been financially ruined by his son, because, right, he doesn't have the assets he used to have. This is somebody who has been culturally shamed by his son. This is somebody who's been incalculably hurt by him, and yet he runs at him and throws his arms around him and kisses him and hugs him and loves him and gives him what? First, a robe, which is a robe of dignity. It's a robe of, of honor, of saying, I'm not going to wait for you to clean up that pig-smelling unrighteousness from you. I'm going to give it to you because I love you now. Then he gives him a ring, because a ring, the signet ring, was a sign of, of uh, authority, that you're in the family again. You have all the privileges, all the, all the uh, duties, all the benefits of being in the family. And then lastly, he's given sandals, which means either he lost those sandals or he sold those sandals, but he says, you need sandals because you need the stability to dance tonight and have joy and be at the feast. And I'm telling you all this, why? Because if this is God's love for the younger brother, this father-loving, running, robing, celebrating, no questions asked, no stipulations, no manipulations, I see you at your utter worst, and I'm going to love you to my utter best. If that's who the true father is, it leads, it, it, when I was sitting in this, I was, it led me to two questions. One, the first one that I'm going to ask you too, is do you see God's love for you this way? Do we, is this the image that comes to mind in application to yourself? Because I really believe everybody has a younger brother inside of them. We've all rebelled in our hearts somewhere. We've all been running away from him. And there's a part of us that says, God, give me what I owe. Give me what I deserve. I deserve better. You do better. And how do we go about getting it? We go about getting it through power, approval, comfort, control. We figure out the things that we say, those are the things that are going to give me what I need, and I'm going to take, and I'm going to get it. And so the question is, where are you running from him? Where are you not allowing him to throw his arms around you and kiss you? Where are you saying, he doesn't give me what I want, so I'm going to go get what I'm owed? Where, where are we using those things of power, approval, comfort, and control? Because those are the, those are the pigsties compared to his love. And I guess I, I, I'm trying to allow myself to sit and see him running towards me, embrace me, hold on to me, because often we fail to see God's love in this way. And when we do, I think we can trace eventually the lack of contentment, the lack of peace, the lack of joy, the, la so the, the, the source of so many of our problems. The reason why we can't joyfully reflect God's love is because we don't see that love on us. That was the first question that came up. Now, the second question is this. 
do you have the same type of love that this father has for younger brothers? Do you have that love for younger brothers too? Do we have that as Redeemer Lincoln Square? Because if, if our vision is to live as reflections of God's love, this is God's love. This is who he is. And that means we should all be living out in the world with wild abandonment, throwing our arms around people that the world would say are younger brothers, the lost. And if we don't do that, what does that say about what we know about God's love? Even worse, Jesus seems to have attracted those types of people, right? Why else would in verse 2, the, the Pharisees, the teachers are like, oh, why, are they, why is he hanging out with those people over there? I, I believe the, the church today is, seems to repel these people more than attracts them. What does that say about us? What does that say about, about uh, you know, our understanding of, of finding the people who would be at the utter bottom of society, either culturally or economically or, it, it, or you know, environmentally, whatever way you want to put it. If Jesus was able to attract these people, why don't we? Why don't we love them, run towards them? I think we've done a terrible job with those who disbelieve. We don't love them well. We don't sit with them. We don't, we don't run after them. And so the question is, is, if he ran after you, why aren't we running after them? I think we're, this is where uh, one of the places I think we're called to be different as Redeemer Lincoln Square. Do we have a heart for those who are wayward? Do we have a heart for those who don't believe? Uh, do you, do, are you even curious to, to try to make just the one step in the direction to those who might have misgivings, who, who, who uh, are in need? We do Q&R after every service, uh, Graham said earlier. It's a place where we seek to hear the questions because we're supposed to be a church that values questions and those who ask them. It's, that, it's trying to reshape us to be a place where people who don't have faith or have lost faith or are not sure about their faith or just want to work through the things that come up in normal life. We're a place for those who normally should be kicked out. We want to invite them in just as we were brought into. That's, what I, that's the first thing we see here with Younger Brothers. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. Now, secondly, what about older brothers? God's love for older brothers here too. Everybody knows younger brothers are messed up. The epiphany, the aha, the, 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 the concept-busting moment that I still don't know if I fully understand, and I'm not sure you do either is that the older brother, the elder brother, is actually more messed up. Look at verse 25. Meanwhile, this is the second part of the parable. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. And when he came near the house, he hears the music, he hears the dancing, he hears all the joy. And he calls the servants and says, what's going on? He says, your brother's come. You know, your brother has come and killed the fatted calf. And look at verse 28. The older brother became angry. He was angry and refused to go into the joy. Why? You want to know why? 
because his moral apparatus said this is unjust. This is wrong. It's not okay. This person to, to mess up the way he screwed up, the way he hurt you, Father, the way he hurt me, to let him back in, this is not okay. And it means not only that you put that ring back on him, he, the, the inheritance has shrunk. And now you're going to let him get a new portion of the, of the inheritance that he squandered. Now he gets more of it. That's not okay with me. And what we're supposed to realize as the reader, the listener, we're supposed to say, wait a second, this is exposing the older brother for who he is. Because think about it. If the younger brother didn't want the father, he just wanted the father's wealth, the argument the, the, younger, the older brother gives here shows that he didn't want the father either. He just wanted the father's wealth too. Look at this. The younger brother wanted to wrongfully work his way back into the father's good graces. And yet the elder brother says, that's the reason why I've been here all along, is to try to be in your good graces. Look at verse 29. It, 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 it's so apparent. He says, but father, look. Almost like he's, which is actually really demeaning. <laughs> Let me tell you. Look, all these years I've been not working. I've been slaving away for you and never obeyed. I never disobeyed your orders, and you never gave me what, you know, physical, tangible, monetary uh, thing for me. It's showing his heart. And by the way, this is, where's this happening? This is not happening indoors, right? He's not inside the party. He's outside. He's in front of everybody else. He's, again, publicly shaming his father, which, by the way, who already did that? The younger brother. So he's actually doing the very same thing as the younger brother the only difference, one key difference is this, is that he didn't know, he didn't realize that he was wrong. He actually thought he was right. He thought he was justified. He thought he should be doing this. Every religion in the world has good people and bad people. Every non-religion, our secular culture, has good people and bad people. Only Christianity shows up and says, by the way, the good people just don't know how bad they really are. That you, you can be lost by running away from God, but you can be equally lost by thinking that you're close to God. And this is why, by the way, personally, why I love um, ministering to New Yorkers. Because New Yorkers, you say, hey, God. They're like, nope, don't believe in him. It's so refreshing. It's like he, they, they know who they are. What's worse, the bigger problem are people who say, no, I do believe in God. When they don't realize that they actually don't. They don't realize the things that are keeping them from God and actually keeping them away from other people is their goodness, is their rightness. It's their sense of justice. See, broken people know they're broken. That's why they can actually even have a hope of being fixed. I, the bigger problem is people who are like, I'm not that broken. Because when you don't know that you're broken, you're not going to start looking for some solutions to fix it. And yet, how does the father respond to this, this elder son? It's amazing. It's the exact same way he responds to the younger son. He, he comes out. Maybe he ran out to him too. He says, everything I have is mine, right? You already have the robe. But he's like, look, check, check, check. You have the robe. You have the ring. You have this. You have it all already. My son, what is mine is yours. And I want you at the party. And I want to rejoice with you. And I want to put my arms around you. Will you come in? And the story, by the way, look, it just stops. You don't know. The, the, the cliffhanger, the kind of like... And to be continued, is does the elder brother, will the elder brothers of the world ever come in to Jesus? If you don't know that you don't need him, if you, if you don't know that you need him, why would you ever need him? That's what it comes down to. 
And so I, 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 as I try to take the microscope and look back into, our, into my own heart, are, are we people who go to God to get things from God, or are we people that go to God to try to get God himself? Because if being good doesn't make you in and being bad doesn't make you out, then the, that means the only people who are in are the needy. And the people who don't think that they need him are the ones who are out. So the difference between the younger brother and the older brother, just from a moral apparatus, is actually the only difference is the younger brother, at some level, improperly as well, knew that they, he needed the father. I think it's one of the evils of, of our world right now is that the world thinks the church is only for people who are morally good. And that as, as we reflect on this parable, what we should realize is morally good people aren't as morally good as we think. That we'll take our goodness and still use it as a weapon to beat the junk out of other people or ourselves or God. It's, it's just a different weapon. That you can try to win by breaking God's rules or you can try to win by following God's rules, but both are just still trying to win. In my quiet time recently, I've, I've, been, I've been really cut up by the fact that I, I've been looking to my competency a lot more than I thought. I like to know. I have, a, I have a, a, a personal identity of competency that I like to feel like I know what I'm doing. I got the degrees. I got the accomplishments. I got, I, I'm a good, I, I'm pretty good. And I want, guess what? It's not just that. I want other people to know that. And I want other people to recognize that. And it drives me nuts when they won't. And it drives me nuts when there's, there's, a, there's an inkling of doubt in my own mind. Because what's going on in that moment is I'm saying, look, God, I'm the good son. I'm, I'm the one that, look at all that I have. Will you, will you accept me? Will you take me in? That's just one small elder brother tendency. It's a good thing. The world's going to look at that of competency and say, hey, that's a good job, Mike. Good job. I love you. And yet I've taken it and I've wielded it and I've used it poorly. Do you, you know what another thing I do? I despise people who despise people. It bugs, it bugs me a lot that when I see people look down at other people, but then I'm looking down at the people who look down at people. It's the same thing. Where are you? I'm, I, just, I gave you two examples. Where are you elder brothering? Who are the people that you're like, they're out? Or actually, what's crazy about the elder brother too is probably he's, this is inside. Who, where, what are you standing on in? What level of goodness and morality are you like, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. And it, it's keeping you from the joy of the, the party of the relationship because you can reject God by running from him, but you can just as easily reject him by staying close enough so that you don't think you really need his grace. And knowing, I, I, I said we already have, we have a younger brother nature in us. I think we all have elder brother natures to us as well, which means if we're going to be a vision, if our church is going to be a church where we reflect God's love, it means we have to constantly turn inside and look at the places to expose the self-righteousness and the pride and, and the hostility that we have, not just towards God, but towards other people whom we deem unworthy. And I think that's what this, this parable is telling us. The, the aha moment is you can volunteer at this church, you can give money to this church, you can show up at this church, and God's love is still not in you. Because the elder brother showed up every day, he did his job, he looked like he was in, the world thought he was in, and yet he was always out. And so last point here, what does it mean for us? 
Why is the bad son in? Uh, at, why is the, the bad son in and the good son out? It's to drive home this point that whatever Christianity is about, if you leave these doors, please hear this. Whatever it's about, it's not just being a good person or doing good deeds. Hopefully, it's at some level, we, it's how we've wielded those wrongfully. I knew somebody um, years ago, I knew somebody he actually had it on his leg. It started off as like a golf ball size, and it kind of grew about a baseball-sized tumor. And it looked like a growth, and, and everybody said to this person, you know, you should really get that checked out. You got something growing on your leg. And, and, and he just like, ah, it's not a big deal. It doesn't bother me. There's no big problem. It was cancer, and he died. Now, the question is, did the cancer kill him? Kind of. But what killed him more was his denial that he had anything wrong with him in the first place. That was the bigger problem, the refusal to acknowledge the need. Good people don't know that they're just as sick as bad people. They can't see that when they look down through pride and self-righteousness, what the world says is, hey, that's just zeal. That's just, that's just a brother or sister who, you know, has strong moral convictions, and yet it's actually operating as evil in the heart. I think Jesus, the reason why he told the series of these parables, what he was trying to get at with the, with the parable of the lost sheep is, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to be the one that comes after you. And when he tells the parable of the lost coin, what he's saying is, I'm, gonna, I'm the one who's going to stop everything and find what's valuable. And what's valuable is you and you and you. But when you get to this parable, the parable of the lost sons, what, why did Jesus tell it? It's not so that he can say, yeah, all you elder brothers out there, you're the problem. Because then he'd be doing the very same thing he's, he's telling you you shouldn't do. He's not actually trying to elder brother your elder brothering. The reason why he's telling the story is he's trying to say, I want you to come to the party too. You don't know you're keeping yourself out, but you are, and I want to bring you in. The, the better way that this story should have ended was this. The younger brother should have taken, should have run away, should have lived that licentious life, and the elder brother should have gone to the father almost immediately and said, Father, I'm going to spend every last dollar of my inheritance to go find my brother and bring him back. That's, that's the happy ending. That's what we would have written in Hollywood. And yet he doesn't do that. And so Jesus, what he's doing here, kind of the subtweet that Jesus is doing here is he's basically saying, I'm the true elder brother who is going to go do that. I'm the one who is going to leave the father, leave all my possessions, leave my inheritance, and come down to love, to serve, and to save. Because I don't want you to miss out on the father's love for you, to put his arms around you. In other words, this elder brother did not want the younger brother be able to get the inheritance again. But the true elder brother said, You're all, I want you to all be sons and daughters of the Most High King. He's bringing us into the family of God. If we, could we, maybe, is it possible that we could be as a church sitting in this regularly, weekly, to let this grace wash over us? I think it would lessen our, if we did, it would lessen both our elder brother and our younger brother tendencies. If we actually let this wash over us, we would be less likely to use the coping mechanisms of power, approval, comfort, control, and we'd be less likely to take, when we're on the good side of it, to use, weaponize it and, and fight those who are, and look down at those who are. This is why sin, sin is so sneaky, friends. Sin is not just bad things. It's saying, yeah, 
I hate those self-righteous elder brothers. If you're, if you're sitting here going, yeah, I hate all those people. I'm so glad you're saying this, Michael. You're doing the very same thing. You're doing it. You're being the self-righteous against the self-righteous. You're being an elder brother against elder brothers. God's love is so big. It's so all-encompassing. It's so profound that if we let this fill our vision at Redeemer Lincoln Square to live as reflections of this love, it would be a posture that we would be known for in this city throughout the world. That we're dead and now we're alive. We were lost, but now we're found. I thought I was in, I realized I was out, and now I realize I'm actually in through Jesus. How do you do this? Just to get as practical as possible. Let's this week sit with our Lord and say, Lord, I repent. Let's start with repentance and say, Lord, and sometimes it's hard just to repent of even the things that we know are bad and wrong. Please do that. But this goes one step further and says, Lord, I I repent for even the reasons why I do the good things. Because even those I have weaponized and used against others and against you. Help, Lord, I'm sorry for wanting to look competent, needing to look right. It's a way to look good in my own eyes and hopefully in your eyes as well, Father. But Lord, help me see what you've left to have us. You gave it all to have us. Help us to see that you've thrown your arms around us. And when we do, if that melts our hearts, Father, it's going to change us. The beauty of God's love in this parable, and I think Graham was talking about this earlier in the confession, is when you see your flaws, and real flaws are not just the bad things, it's the good things that you've made ultimate, the the good things that you've weaponized. The more you see them, the more you'll realize that that was the, the Father running towards you is that much more glorious, that much more beautiful, that much more wonderful. Last verse, verse 32. I love the Father, what he says here. He says, but we had to celebrate. We had to be glad. It's almost like he's, First of all, he's doing two things here. One, he's looking at the son's moral compass and saying, you're wrong. Your evaluating of what's just and unjust is wrong. Which, by the way, means probably the world's going to look at our evaluation of what we talk about. Right? They're going to say we might overemphasize grace too much. They might say we're going to over, over, overemphasize justice. Because, by the way, justice is a way to express God's love too. They're going to say you, you, don't, you don't understand it. So we have to be comfortable not fully understood. But secondly, it shows us a radical patience, not just for the younger brother, but for the elder brother. We had to celebrate. Come and join. Will we be a church that's known to be radically patient with the younger brothers who have destroyed their lives and destroyed other people's lives, and yet radically accepting of elder brothers the grace that they need, that they don't even know that they need, and that we need to sit in that and, and be that together. If we absorb this into our life, the next time you want to run from him, you can say, I don't have to. The next time you want to roll your eyes at somebody who is running, you don't have to. Because Jesus came after that person too, and he's asking to join the party. What if we took every cynical thought, but, which, by the way, uh, uh, the series Ted Lasso, the main reason why it's, it's blown up is because we've lived in a world of cynicism we focus on cynicism, and all of a sudden it's surprising that we always see something that's not cynical. What if we took every cynical thought, every time we want to cast other people out, we realize that's actually us staying out when he wants us to come in. Let's work that 
into our lives the, the work of the true father who makes the love of the true, uh, the, sorry, the, Jesus is the true elder brother that makes the work of the true father real to us. Then we can sing like Charles Wesley's hymn, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The lost brother's in, friends. The, 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 the brother who doesn't know he's lost is out. Which, which brother are you? Let's live accordingly. If you don't know you're lost, perhaps you are. If you, if you do know, come. Come. You're welcomed to the party. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a, a profound truth. It's earth-shattering. We don't even quite, we can't quite get our mind around it. Because it's just so all-encompassing. We think love is finite. We think love is is, is uh, regimented, and yet what we see is a father gazing, looking on the horizon constantly, and then he's going to run, and he's running towards us, Father. I, pr- I pray that whether we're, we're younger brothers in this room or we're elder brothers in this room, we see the Father come out towards us, and we see it most profoundly in Jesus' life and death and work. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.